You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. My homie told me that when people rise up against you, what's the sign of your destiny real? Fake ones been hating because they know that one day you're making it. Jealousy's all they can feel. Plug in the fall, drifting my soul. Pain in the future when thinking alone. About when I'm grown, already blown. How'd I get back with this beautiful home? You were the sight, beautiful life. Beautiful sex with my husband and wife. Beautiful children, people who want to come kill me because Neurodiversity at Work Prisoners, Vagrants, Vagabonds and Albert Einstein Today I'm joined by Claire Corrie Claire is an account director at LinkedIn And Barbara at Nielsen told me I had to talk to Claire when I told her about my new podcast. And I'm really pleased to have Claire on the show because she's a wonderful example, a superhero of somebody who is dyslexic and recognises the superpowers her dyslexia has provided her. I've also spoken with Claire's boss, Chris, and he can't say enough wonderful words about Claire and attributes her success at LinkedIn directly to her dyslexia. I'm sure you're going to love the show. It was a real pleasure having Claire on with me today. Hi Claire, welcome to the podcast. Hi Theo, how are you doing? Really good, thank you. Claire, for the benefit of our audience, would you like to just describe who you are, where you're from, what you do? Of course. So hi everyone, my name's Claire. I'm a account director at LinkedIn. I grew up in Bristol, but I now live in London. It's great to be on the podcast today. This is early days of the podcast. Really excited to have a superhero on. But what I really want to find out is what does neurodiversity mean to you and why have you been willing to come onto the podcast today? Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I spent so many years growing up hiding my identity in some way. So, you know, I always felt that being dyslexic was a hindrance or people would think of you differently to others. But I realised over the last few years and after having, you know, a really successful career over the last 15 years and always being, you know, top performer in everything I do, that maybe my dyslexia has something to do with that. And I definitely... Um, think think it does and so one of my own personal ambitions um, over the next kind of 12 to 18 months is to be more vocal about my dyslexia and the I guess the superpowers that it gives me and hopefully help other people that maybe you know aren't quite there in the journey um, become more inspired to be you know more outward with their dyslexia. Amazing that's really interesting So tell me about your journey then, your background, and, uh, you know, how did you come to understand that you were neurodivergent, that you were dyslexic? How have you managed that? How have you become able to understand that and and to allow you to grow and develop? Yeah, so I guess, um, and I think this is the case for a lot of dyslexics born in the 70s and 80s. So I was born in in the early 80s, giving away my age now. You know, it was a time where people really didn't understand what dyslexia was. And I think for my parents, you know, both of my parents are very bright. One was an entrepreneur, one was a doctor. You know, finding out that your child has severe dyslexia 
wasn't something you know I think they thought of it as being a real hurdle or a potential hurdle for me and the challenge that we had with with my situation was that when you're young your IQ is often assessed by your ability to communicate so as a ch young child I was always very good at talking, very articulate from a very young age. And, you know, it was clearly very bright. But then when it came to trying to read and write, you know, I wasn't able to do so. And actually, for a couple of years, I was memorizing books. And so it was quite hard for my parents to identify. I was really lucky in the fact that um, there was a great dyslexia school, which I went to in addition to my mainstream school and um, you know was able to have that one-to-one -one tuition but I wasn't really able to read or write really comprehensively till I was about 14, 15 um, and as a result of that I was held back a year at school so going from junior to senior school I was held back and it was very much you know Claire may not make it um, but the great thing is is through you know getting the right type of um, poaching and help I actually you know was able to overcome my dyslexia and find ways to manage it and did very very well academically at school and was you know got some of the top grades in the class so you know it was a hard journey but in the end I I managed to get to to the level that I wanted to. That's absolutely fascinating um the first thing you mentioned there is that your parents one was a entrepreneur and one was a doctor is that right? Yeah <laughs> so my mum was a doctor and my dad was an entrepreneur Incredible. So there's all kinds of stats out there, Claire, around how many people neurodivergent who are entrepreneurs. And I think the stats around 30 to 50 percent. There's a lot of people within the entrepreneurial world who come out like Richard Branston and say, you know, I'm dyslexic. I associate with ADHD. But also, if we look at people who are neurodivergent, you see a lot of people perhaps on the spectrum who were uh, incredible scientists. You know, we look at Alan Turing, for example. So I find it really interesting. I don't know for certain um, what your family background is, what their history is, but that you have one who's an entrepreneur and one who's uh, a doctor, I think is great. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting you say that because I definitely think my dad was dyslexic. So he was incredibly bright and did, did in extremely well but his spelling was atrocious so um, I definitely think that the dyslexia came from him but you know in his generation and those types of things just weren't diagnosed it just shows you that you you can be dyslexic and actually you know use the skills and ability that you have which is unique to dyslexia to, to really do really well so it should never stop you you know reaching your full potential. And do you think it was really important then having, was there an understanding uh, within your family from very early on that helped you with that support? Then how did that help when you then made the next step into beyond school academia work environment? Yeah, so I think my I mean, I was very lucky. My parents are incredibly supportive and did everything they could for both my brother and I to ensure that we had you know, the best upbringing and the best education. So their priority was always to ensure that we could do as well as possible. But I do think it was hard because it was their first time, obviously, experiencing raising a child with that form of dyslexia. And, you know, that it comes with its challenges. If I think back to the person I was then to the person I was, I am now, you know, I was incredibly timid. I was shy. I was nervous, you know, because I naturally felt different to other people. And I knew I had you know, I guess I probably viewed it as a problem. And so I think, you know, as a parent of a dyslexic in that, you know, era, it's not only dealing with trying to support your child to overcome that difficulty, but it's also all of the psychological and emotional issues that come along with that. So, you know, you'd be at school and people would say to you things like, 
well, my mum said to not sit by you because you might hold me back at school. And, you know, things that you look back at now and you think that is absolutely ridiculous. And I know the person that said that to me and I know full well I've got a more successful career now. You know, that that was definitely, you know, something that you kind of always felt. And I think that's partly why people going into the workplace feel, well, I won't mention my dyslexia in an interview because if, you know, they've got two people in the interview process and I mention my dyslexia, and they think that we're of you know equal caliber, they'll probably pick the person that's not dyslexic. Now, if I was interviewing those two people, I would probably pick the dyslexic person because I know that you know, nine times out of ten they're a high potential and, and really good at what they do. But I definitely think, you know, coming into my career, um, I was very quiet about it. And I do think now I'm more vocal about it, but I think it's more that I have the confidence to talk about it and I do think that my dyslexia makes me slightly different. And I think that, you know, companies and businesses should think about having, you know, a good representation of dyslexic people on their team, because I do think they think differently. I do think that they, you know, they over-index on the skills which they're good at, and that often makes them exceptional at what they do. But I, I definitely think that, you know, if I was to interview for a role now, I maybe would mention it, but I think that's probably because I've got a proven, you know, track record. Yeah, and I think that is the challenge that a lot of people listening to this story and others will find uh, that actually it's that level of confidence to be able to step forwards and see it not just as a positive, but actually as something that they uh, want to utilise as part of their narrative of their story, whether that's through their CV or their social profiles. Absolutely. I've, I've just uh, been doing a piece of work with Horsefly and using their global analytics tool and working with them closely to look at who's using the term neurodiversity uh, globally across social profiles. Uh, and, and what we found is actually nobody really is and nobody's really using ADHD or dyslexia as kind of positive terms within their professional social profiles. But the people who are uh, academics within the space um, yeah. are neuroscientists are uh, you know possibly speakers in, in the space but actually people like you and I within the working environment are still much more cautious uh, around putting these things on our social profiles through fear of of it having some potential negative impact and you and I can feel perhaps more comfortable and confident and thinking you know what we're, we're willing to put ourselves out there we're confident in what we've achieved uh, and we can explain it. We feel like we can explain it. But uh, how many young, uh, I guess not just young people, but people, you know, working through their careers, uh, dependent where they are within those careers or where they are within organisational structures or what type of organisations who think I didn't open up and say it because I fear being discriminated on that basis. And, you know, there's a good chance that they may well be. And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely think it is it is a challenge. But I think the more people that can be vocal, and I guess that's what's given me the inspiration to be more open with, with my dyslexia, because I know at LinkedIn, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands of potential people with dyslexia. Um, and, you know, it's only through talking about it that it encourages other people to open up about it. I also do think that, um, you know, have, working in the talent space, I mean, my role is to work partner with HR directors and heads of talent. And, I, you know, diversity and inclusion is, you know, one of the biggest topics that we hear people talk about. And what's really interesting as I've kind of started to focus more on this, I've noticed, you know, they don't actually focus on this when, when they're talking about the things that, 
that you know and it, it, it probably is that they do care about it but I have noticed that it's not necessarily something that's built into a lot of companies diversity strategies um, which is I think is a huge missed opportunity because you know if you can attract more talent in with this type of skill set um, and this ability you know I do think you know you will you will see see more more success um, you know it's funny actually I was, my husband's just um, um, building out a team um, within his company and um, he needed to hire some salespeople and he said when, when he was interviewing some of the, the people um, one of the, the gentlemen said oh I'm dyslexic and he already in the interview thought he was exceptional and then when he said he's dyslexic it actually made my husband want to hire him even more just because he knows what I'm like and he's like well if he's dyslexic and he's anything like Claire like I definitely should be hiring him and yeah you know six months into the role he is absolutely excelling all expectations so so, um, you know, I definitely think, you know, the, 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 the more awareness um, companies can have of it and the, and the more culture, the better culture they create to encourage people to be open about it. I, I do think it will lead to, you know, greater success within, within organisations. So what do you think are the challenges in work that you potentially face or that others like you might face and, and how have you overcome them? Yeah, so I think, I mean, a big challenge that I faced when I first started working and was just around, you know, written communication. So I was always really worried about emailing a client and there being a typo in my email and then mistaking that for just, you know, you know, sloppiness or laziness. But a couple of things I've done to help me with that. So the first is I've downloaded a technology called Claro Read, which highlights my work and I put my headphones in and it reads it back to me. So I will hear the mistake and correct it. And then the other thing that I've done really recently, because, you know, it's always been the thing that I've always worried about that, oh, if there's a typo in, you know, my email to, you know, a really senior stakeholder or something like that. And I was like, well, hang on a minute. I can mitigate this fear by um, including under my e-signature, apologies if there's any typos, I'm actually dyslexic, smiley face. So, you know, and I just thought that's actually a really good thing to include because not only does it help to mitigate any impression somebody might have reading my email, but also it might encourage other people who are dyslexic that might read my email to think, oh, that's a good idea, I'll do, do the same thing. So I definitely think, you know, having technology innovation has has helped but I would say that the written communication and probably the speed at which I write is probably I guess probably slightly slower than than my peers um but I do think you know I don't necessarily see that as a negative because I think it has enabled me to be very confident and and better verbally a, a better verbal communicator so instead of hiding behind an email and write some waffly long email back to a client I'll pick up the phone and build that rapport and relationship and, you know, solve the problem a lot quicker. So, you know, yes, it kind of slows me down sometimes, but I, I found other ways of, of working around it. Excellent. And at what point did you find in your life, in your career, that you started to see these as, uh, I guess, being dyslexic as something that was a strength, that was potentially powerful? And how did you identify uh, your superpowers, those things that made you different, that made you perhaps exceptional to, you know, those other people within the working environment? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, interestingly enough, so when I when I was at university, I did a internship with Bess and Marcella, and I thought I was going to go into PR, which I actually, looking back, think is crazy, because <laughs> it's so much written, <laughs> written work involved. 
Um, and so when I graduated, I actually did very briefly go and work for a PR agency and, and quickly realized that it just wasn't the right thing for me. It didn't marry up with my skill set. And so then I, I, I left quite quickly and I went and started working for CEB. And my first role out of university with them was, well, you know, it was pretty, pretty challenging, but I definitely think it has, you know, helped build so many skills I have today. And I, and I'm, you know, convinced that my dyslexia enabled me to be very successful at it. So I was a sales associate and I was working with a sales director. And my role was to schedule 25 executive meetings a month. And they had to be with the senior most. So they couldn't be with one of the direct reports. So they had to be a finance director, a head of audit, a head of controlling in, you know, FTSE 100 type companies. And I would just make like two, three hundred calls a day. I was on the phone nonstop because I obviously was using my ability to communicate instead of sending lots of emails to these people. And, you know, I used to get these executives on the phone really easily and, you know, get them to commit to to meeting with my director. Um, And I definitely think when I look at kind of what I was doing versus some of my peers, you know, I was making three, four times as many calls as them. Um, and I think it's because, I, A, I knew I was going to get to the results quicker, but also I knew that I had that ability to, you know, engage with people quickly and, and, and get my point across. So I think it was at that point that I realised, and I remember one of the MDs coming out of our office going, wow, uh, you're really good on the phone. <laughs> and, uh, and I do think it's just because, you know, as a dyslexic, you because you're not very good at writing and reading, you over-index on your verbal ability. And that actually gave me a real strength within my first job at uni. Yeah, that makes some sense to me. I think I've the need to prove myself as well. Do you think that comes through? If you uh, struggle within academia, within you know the, the, what we deem the normal environments, you have to fight for your place. You have to fight for your seat at the table. You have to uh, be willing to put yourself out there. And as you get older and older, that I think that converts itself. It evolves and changes where you perhaps, I certainly earlier on um, was more direct in my approach. And then you soften the edges, but you still have that ability to communicate really strongly um, where others may struggle. Absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And um, I think it comes back to the fact that, you know, I remember my brother, bless him, my brother and I are incredibly close, but sometimes he, you know, he does come out with things without thinking. And uh, I remember it so clearly, he said to me, I don't know why you're doing geography uh, A level, You, you know, you probably you're probably going to really struggle at that and hope, you know, I ended up getting in the top five in the country, grades-wise, I kind of proved him. I think that was the first time I was, watch me, you've just told me I can't do something, I'm going to absolutely prove you wrong. And I definitely think, you know, I've always worked in a goal-orientated environment and enjoyed working in a goal-orientated environment. And And I definitely think that when things are tough for you, you know, when you're younger and you're not always top top of the class or top of the list or you know getting the recognitions for doing really well it does create this inner strength that I'm actually I am going to do this and I'm going to prove everybody wrong and I definitely think my determination is because of my dyslexia yeah definitely one final question what would you say to your younger self yeah I mean and I you know it's interesting actually Theo because I always think about this because I've now got a son And, you know, there is a chance he could be dyslexic um, because I do think it is hereditary. 
I would say, you know, you have an inner ability that so many other people don't. And the way that your brain thinks and the way that you do things is so unique and actually gives you that superpower. It's just all about finding the thing that you're really good at and using the skills that, you know, that you that you have so for example you know communication skills often dyslexics are very good at that or problem solving that maybe somebody who isn't dyslexic isn't very good at so finding that role that job that really matches your skill set and the things that you enjoy um i think is is really important and i think you know you only have to go and look at you know i was actually in preparation for this um meeting was looking up i was reading this piece of work on entrepreneurs and the fact that you know, the majority of entrepreneurs are actually dyslexic. And I read this stat that said 60% of self-made millionaires are, are dyslexic. And I was like, wow, that is crazy. But, you know, there are so many people, famous people in the world that have proven that that you're incredibly capable and there is no reason why, you know, you can't be that person. Yeah, definitely. That's amazing. Claire, I'm, I'm so pleased you've come on. You're an absolute superhero, a superstar. I'm so pleased that Barbara Lee from Nielsen put me in contact with you. You also clearly work with lots of the other RL100. So keep doing the wonderful work that you're doing uh, and keep sharing your story. And I, you know, I very much look forward to continuing to talk with you and, and work with you in the future. Thanks, Theo. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, thank you to Barbara for, for recommending me. Absolutely.